0: Mensah Otabil Dr Mensah Otabil is a pastor, lecturer, author, consultant and motivational speaker. He is the founder and general overseer of the International Central Gospel Churches which has a network of local assemblies in Ghana, Europe, the United States, Canada and other parts of Africa. He serves as the Senior Pastor of Christ Temple, ICGC's Mother Church in Accra and also the Chancellor of Ghana's premier private university, the Central University College (CUC). The International Central Gospel Church, aka ICGC, is an evangelical, charismatic, Christian church officially inaugurated on the 26th of February 1984 in Accra, Ghana. The first meeting was held in a small classroom with a total of 20 people Currently membership runs in the tens of thousands with over 450 branches planted in various parts of the world. Dr. Otabil presents a radio and television program called Living Word where he addresses life issues such as religion, education, economic development, family life and politics. He has authored numerous books. His simple but profound rendition and teaching of scripture makes him a highly sought after speaker at major conferences and many mega churches around the continents of the world. Dr. Otavio resides in Accra, the capital city of Ghana. He is a devoted husband to his wife, Joy, and father to their four children. Please welcome Dr. Mensah Otavio.
1: Praise the name of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, hallelujah. Kindly be seated in God's presence, it's a great joy and a great honor to be here this evening. Uh, tonight, I may do a little longer than my usual, because I'm going to teach something that is needs a little bit more time to uh, make it work. Pastor, I hope you'll be patient with me a little bit as I work this message, um, All right? Um, Pastor Tile has already said that uh, my ministry is that of a teacher. Uh, I take time to break down the word of God. I'm not going to rush you, so don't rush me. (laughs) I'm going to take my time to make my case, and then we're going to get to the point where God's word becomes real to you, Uh, and then when you start acting on the word of God, there is a basis for acting. There are things we do as Christians which we do by tradition because we have been taught as Christians to do them, and we do them as a matter of course without complaint, but it's always important to find the scriptural basis for what you do uh, so that you can defend your faith when it is challenged at any point in time. I'm going to do a teaching that I've titled Tithes, Offerings, and First Fruits. <laughs> Tithes, Offerings, and First Fruits. Um, it's a five part message, but I'm going to try to give you highlights in one hour. And I'm going to give you a biblical survey of the whole concept of our giving and I'm going to answer very important questions that sometimes I asked Christians and we don't have answers to uh, shouting back at an opponent doesn't answer their question you have to have a clear concise biblical theological answer just before I get into the word um, the Bible is not a textbook. You know, when you read a textbook, you go to the content page. And they will tell you if you want to read on this topic, you go to page so-and-so. Read on that topic, you go to page so-and-so and so-and-so and so forth. There's nothing like that in the Bible. You cannot say, well, if I want to read on, I want to discover the doctrine of Trinity, uh, it's on this chapter. It's, it's nothing like that. Biblical theology is developed by having a full look at the scripture. And so, for example, if you take a, a doctrine of Trinity, that, that word doesn't even occur in the Bible. Uh, and yet we believe that God is three, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And um, sometimes it's very difficult to explain it because you can't go to any one verse to clearly Uh, teach that theology is not about finding verses of scripture it is about finding the rhythm of scripture the rhythm of scripture and and you do that by doing a scan of the word of God I I hope you're following me so I'm going to teach on this subject I'm not going to rush it I'm going to take my time and take your time with me too all right so We're going to establish the first principles of this subject. And when we say first principles, it means that we are going to look at the foundation of a subject. The first time it is introduced in the Bible, how it is introduced and how that subject develops in the Bible and how it is applicable today. So we go to the book of Genesis chapter 4 and verses 1 to 5. Genesis chapter 4 verses 1 to 5. And we read, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an Offering, this is the first time the word offering is used in the Bible. An offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. This is very important in the scripture because Cain and Abel were the first born human beings on earth. Adam was not born. Eve was not born. They were created. We were not created human beings. We are born human beings. So in real reference, we are more akin to Cain and Abel than to Adam and Eve because the process of our being is not as it was with Adam and Eve, it is as it was with Cain and Abel. So Cain and Abel represent the human race far more than Adam and Eve represent the human race. Definitely they are the fathers of the human race, but in terms of representation, we are more in Cain and Abel than in Adam and Eve because they're the first Born human beings Now When The Bible introduces Cain and Abel, the first born Human beings, there are Many things that could have Introduced them, they could have been Introduced as people Who were happy, dancing Praying um, Marrying All these are possible But the first introduction Is to work their work and then second to sacrifice. Work and sacrifice. And in the process of describing their sacrifice, the Bible says that they brought an offering to the Lord. The word offering in the Hebrew is Minha. Minha in the Hebrew means first a gift, something that is giving willingly. Secondly, It is a tribute A tribute is something that you give In payment It's like a tax So it is a gift It is a tribute And thirdly Minha means a sacrifice Something that you surrender It's a gift It's a tribute And it's a sacrifice In the process of time They brought their offering Their gift your tribute, your sacrifice to God. The Bible says that Cain gave the fruit of the ground. The fruit of the ground. Um, because that's what he was doing. He was uh, an agriculturist, he was a crop farmer. So he produced, he brought from the work of his hand and presented. An offering, a gift to God, a sacrifice to God or paid tribute to God. Abel also brought an offering to the Lord. But interestingly, whereas Cain's offering is just described in a generic term that he brought an offering Abel's offering is described in qualitative and quantitative terms In other words, he didn't just bring an offering There is quality and there is quantity with what he brought Well, God looked at the two offerings He accepted one and rejected the other Cain's offering was good You know, when I was young in Sunday school, I was taught that Cain brought rotten tomatoes to God and and, and God got angry. It wasn't really rotten tomatoes. He brought the fruit of the ground and I believe that he tried his best to bring the fruit of the ground. But somehow, it didn't cut it. It was an offering. It was given to God, but God did not accept it And that's the principle you have to understand. Just because you gave to God does not mean he will accept it. God is not obliged to receive every gift that is given to him. There are certain qualifiers that determine what he accepts and what he rejects. So it's possible for you to give with a good heart and be rejected by God. And it's possible for you to give and be accepted by God. So Cain. Cain's offering is rejected, but Abel's offering is accepted. There are two things the Bible says about Abel's offering. First is that he gave of the firstborn of his flock. The first born of his flock. The old King James says he gave the firstlings of his flock. And secondly, he gave the fat from the flock. The firstborn and the fat. Firstborn, quantity. Fat, quality. Why do I say firstborn means quantity? Normally, when we read the Bible, we impose our mind on the scripture. But this. It's important for for you to let the scripture be the scripture. The Bible says that Abel brought the firstborn of his flock. Flock is not singular. Flock is plural. The firstborn of his flock. In other words, he didn't just go to catch one animal to present to God he brought the firstborn of his flock. Now we're not told for how long Abel has been an animal farmer. But just for the purposes of debate, let's just say he's been working for 10 years or maybe 15 years rearing animals. And let's just say that his flock had goats, sheep, cattle, and uh, what else? Definitely not snails. <laughs> I know Nigerians will wish there were snails there. But there was no snail. So, so let's say he starts rearing. His first goat gives birth. That child of the first goat is the firstborn. The firstborn marries another goat. And they give birth. That second generation has a firstborn and then the third generation has a firstborn and the fourth generation has a firstborn and as they increase all of them have firstborn firstborn cousins firstborn nephews firstborn nieces firstborn goats comes to the sheep the same process over a 10-year period there are several firstborns comes to the cattle several firstborns So when Abel is presenting his offering, he doesn't pick one goat. He goes to the generations of production among his flock and in each generation picks the firstborn. So by the time he presents an offering to God, it is a large quantity of animals he presents to God. That's the first thing about Abel's offering. It is quantitative. He remembers which is the firstborn And picks them Marks them out And gives them Now the passage says That in the process of doing that He gives their fat to Now what does that mean? It doesn't necessarily mean just The fat uh, That was in the animals In other words when, when Abel was picking his animals If the firstborn Was fat he would not bypass the firstborn and pick the second leanborn. He would, if it is the fattest, he will give it. Whatever the firstborn was, was for God. It was quantitative. It was qualitative. And God looked at the quantitative and the qualitative offering and accepted Abel and rejected Cain. Because Cain's offering had no effort in it and had no intention of bringing quantity and quality. First principle, that offerings that God accepts are quantitative and they are qualitative. That is the first offering in the Bible, the offering of Cain and Abel. That offering created an identity for the givers. The Lord respected Cain and his offering, but did not respect Abel. In other words, your offering will mark you out. And your offering will establish your relationship with God. Your offering will establish your relationship with God. The second offering in the Bible This is the first principle Second offering in the Bible Is the offering of Noah I'm not going to spend too much time on it Because I'm trying to save time And that is in Genesis chapter 8 From verse 15 To verse number 22 And I'll just give you the background Noah takes two of every animal into the ark For the clean animals he takes seven They go to the ark they are delivered, they come out, and at the time they come out, every resource on the earth is depleted. The only living creatures on earth are the ones in the ark. So you would say that every animal in the ark was rare. It was rare not only because there was nothing else out there, It was rare because if you sacrifice it, you cannot guarantee reproduction. When Noah comes out of the ark, he takes this rare commodity of preserved treasure animals, the only stock remaining on earth for reproduction, and kills them. And God, the Bible says, smells that offering. And God pronounces a decree not only upon Noah, but upon the entire human race. And he says, as long as the earth remains, I will not destroy it. And God qualifies it. He says, I know the imagination of man's heart is wicked. But because of the offering of Noah and the quality he has presented... I would make sure even the wickedness of man Would not be punished throughout all generations No wonder people still blaspheme God And God doesn't kill them They should go thank Noah Because of the quality of his offering Quality First offering, quality Second offering, quality In these two offerings that we see in the Bible The offering of Cain and Abel the offering of Noah, these were all burnt offerings. They were burnt and that was it. Animals were killed, burnt to God. Third offering in the Bible. Third offering in the Bible was given by Abraham. And this is a very significant one, so I will pay a little bit more attention to this one. Genesis chapter 14 verses 18 to 20. Now though most of you would know the background to this. You are in a great word church. Abraham leaves his parents house, father's house going to the land God showed him. His nephew tags along his name is Lot. Lot stays with Abraham. And uh, over time, they both prosper. Abraham tells Lot, we don't need to fight because our workers are fighting each other. So you take the land you want and I'll take the land you don't want. When your uncle tells you that to take the land you want and he'll take your left over, you should be smart to let uncle choose first. But Lot chooses first and he chooses the land that was later identified as Sodom and Gomorrah. He goes to live there. Sodom and Gomorrah is the New York of that time. It's the most prosperous place. It is cosmopolitan. They're very wicked people, very liberal in their thinking. In the process of time, there is a war, and some kings come and conquer Sodom and Gomorrah, and the people living in that area, they take Lot captive. It is reported to Abraham that your nephew Lot has been taken captive in a battle. Abraham assembles 318 servants from his heart, from his house. They go out and fight five kings and overcome them. And, and, and they return Lot and seize all the goods that were stolen. Now they didn't just uh, seize the goods that were stolen. At the raid of Lot In Sodom and Gomorrah But every accumulated goods That those kings had developed Over the years Was seized by Abraham After the battle Abraham had this encounter And that's what I'm about to read Genesis chapter 14 Verses 18 to 20 Then Melchizedek King of Salem Brought out bread and wine He was priest of God most high. He blessed him and said. Blessed be Abraham of God most high. Possessor of heaven and earth. Blessed be God most high. Who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. A tithe of all. This is the first time the word tithe is used in the Bible. And the Bible says he gave him a tithe of all. A tithe of all. Note that everything that he got, he gave him a tithe of all. The word tithe means a tenth. A tenth or one tenth. Or in our normal language today, we say ten percent. A tenth. The word tithe also means a collection. A collection. Something that is set aside. So, You know, in those days, they didn't understand percentages as we know them now. So, everything is by counting. So, how do you determine the tenth? By counting. If you had sheep, you count 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. When you get to the number ten, you pull the ten out. Then you start again. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. You pull the ten out. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Put the ten out, and then the once you pull out, you put into a group that is called the collection. So the tithe is the tenth you have pulled out of the hole and collected into a system. So the Bible says that Abraham gave a tenth. So. If he gave a tenth of all, then it meant that whatever he got, if he got pieces of gold, he'll count 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. If he sees shields, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 and pull them out. If he sees spears, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Cutlasses and hose, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Shoes, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Uh, shirts, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 10. Underwear, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 10. Because he's given a tithe of all. Everything. The servants he gets, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 10. Now he gathered all of these one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of everything he has acquired for himself into a group. That's very important, and he gives it to a very strange entity that appears to him—a man that is called Melchizedek. Melchizedek, from two words: Melki, meaning king, and Zedek. Meaning righteousness. The king of righteousness. That's his name. But Melchizedek sits in two offices. He is king of Salem. And priest of most high God. Two offices. King of Salem. Salem is a city. And this Melchizedek. Was king of the of Salem, in other words, he is a civic leader, or you would put it in our current terms, a political leader. He represents a state, then he's priest of God, most high. He is a spiritual leader. So, Abraham takes the tithe and he gives it to this man who is both. Representing A state And God The state And God This is the first time In biblical record That somebody is giving A tribute To a leader Of a city or a nation And the first person Doing that is Abraham These days when we give to A city or a nation We call it tax The principle Of taxation is Established in this giving From Abraham to Melchizedek He gives to Melchizedek The tenth of all But not only that he, Melchizedek also is A priest of God so he gives Both to God And to the king That's very important because later on when we go to the New Testament, you remember Jesus Christ making reference to this principle of giving to both the king and to God. When they presented him a coin, he asked whose image is on it. And they answered, well, Caesar. He says, you give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. The tithe goes to God. The tax go to Caesar's. You don't mix the two. You don't mix the two. One goes to build the state. The other goes to build the things of God. Melchizedek was one man representing two offices. Now this gentleman, Melchizedek, is a strange fellow. And the interesting thing about Melchizedek is that he didn't fight in the battle. He didn't risk his life. Abraham risked his life There are other kings who had lost items But this guy shows up after battle I don't know whether he timed his visit Or it's just by coincidence But right after Abraham has had this battle He has risked his life, the life of his servants And he has delivered and he has won a lot of money And a lot of booty Melchizedek shows up And he comes to serve communion, bread and wine, to Abraham. And Abraham says, I give you a tenth of everything. This is the first time a tithe is mentioned in the Bible. The first time. It is given by Abraham. It is not instructed by God it is giving willingly as an act of worship because Abraham recognized the sovereignty of God and the value of spiritual leadership and submitted his tithe to Melchizedek. Melchizedek received the tithe, leaves the scene, and that's the last time we hear of him in the Bible until later in the New Testament, and we'll get to it when I get there, there is a proper interpretation of this transaction that took place here with Abraham. Abraham gave the tithe to Melchizedek. He gave him a tenth of all. So, first offering by Cain and Abel. One was rejected, the other accepted. So, we take the Offering of Abel. It is the firstborn, it is quantitative, it is qualitative. The second offering in the Bible, mentioned in the Bible, given by Noah, it is rare, it is exceptional, it is valuable. The third one we are reading has come out of war. So, one of the things you're going to realize is that. All the gifts that are accepted by God are either qualitative, rare, or have cost something. You cannot just throw stuff at God. There has to be something about the quality that God respects. Cain's offering, Noah's offering, Abraham's offering. Incidentally, the offering that Abraham gives to Melchizedek is the first time in the Bible that a living offering is given without destroying the offering. That is without burning it. So he doesn't burn it. He gives the offering raw to Melchizedek. And this is also the first time that a human being receives the offering in the place of God. In the offering of Abel, it's burned to God. Nobody receives it. In the offering of Abraham, of of Noah, it's burnt to God. Nobody receives it. In the offering of Abraham to Melchizedek, it is not burnt. It is given to a human being who represents a spiritual office. And it is given by Abraham. The first man to tithe. And for your information, this is happening way probably about 450 or so years before the law of moses is giving so the tithe did not begin under the law it did not begin with the levites and i'll get to that very soon it started with abraham the one who had the promises abraham who walked by faith Abraham, who did not live according to the law, as a matter of fact, when we come to grace, Abraham lived under grace before grace. Abraham lived under grace before grace. And Melchizedek received from a man living under grace, not a man living under law. A man living under grace. Abraham living under grace. A man called a friend of God. A man who has the promises of God. The patriarch, the father of faith. Not the father of law. The law came through Moses. Abraham did not bring the law and he tithed. That is the third Record of an offering in the Bible. And the first of Abraham. Abraham gave several offerings. I'll just look at Abraham's second offering. Because this is a very profound offering. That he gave to God. Abraham comes to God. In Genesis chapter 15. And he complains to God. And he says God. God you are giving me all these promises. You know Abraham's problem, you know. He was a stranger, didn't have property. And, and, and God promised him property, but he didn't own the property. He was a stranger in the land. And God says, this land is for you. And then God says, you're also going to be the father of many nations. So he has prom- two promises. Promises of nationhood and promises of land, real estate. That he's going to really own a lot of land, and he's going to be a major world leader because nations will come out of him. And so he comes to God uh, and he says, God, how can I be sure that all these things you've been telling me all this time, you show up and you tell me these nice things, how can I be sure that you're not joking with me? How can I be sure that you're not playing with my mind, playing mind games with me? So God speaks to Abraham in this passage and he tells Abraham to do something very interesting. Let's look at it. Genesis chapter 15 verses 7 to 11. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the air of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to me, bring me a three-year-old Haifa. A three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him, cut them in two, down the middle, placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down and the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. Very interesting. This is the first demanded offering in the Bible. The first time an offering is demanded. All the offerings we've seen so far, people just gave them. This time, God is making a demand. Does God make demands? Yes, he does. Abraham says, how shall I know that you will honor your word? God says, bring me an offering. He didn't say, believe me. He didn't say, pray. He didn't say, fast. He didn't say, trust me. He says, bring me an offering. And then he specifies the offering three-year-old Haifa, three-year-old female goat. You don't bring a four-year-old male goat. When God gives you specific instructions, you obey because it's a specific offering to prove something to you. So he brings these animals, the pigeon and the turtle dove in addition. And God says to Abraham, you want me to show you that I really mean what I'm telling you that I'm going to honor my word to you. He says, these offerings you have brought, cut the big ones into two. The goat, the hypha, and the big one, the big animals, cut them into two. There are three of them. So that's six pieces. If you cut them into two, there are six pieces. says, place them one on each side. So three of the cuts pieces here three of the cut pieces there and there is a path in the middle then the two beds you don't cut them into two put put one bed here and one bed there so there are three half animal pieces and a bed three half animal pieces and a bed and in the middle there is a path and when these animals are being cut there's blood all over the land And whilst Abraham is standing there watching what he had just cut, God knocks him down, puts him to sleep. But the Bible says he's in a trance. In other words, he can see what is happening, but he can't act. Some of you have had some of those sleeps where... You are, you are seeing what is happening, but you can't shout. So that's what is happening to Abraham. He sees what is happening, but he can't talk. He can't move. He can't participate, but he's seeing what, he's ha- what is happening. Because God is saying, watch me, because I don't need you to participate in this. Just watch me. And whilst Abraham is watching, a pot of fire begins to walk in the middle of the animals of his offering and God says no for a surety I promise you I will do what I have said now if you're reading the bible from our culture it's just like a nice ceremony but you have to understand the culture of Abraham Abraham is from the heir of the Chaldeans he's a Syrian From his culture, Abraham understands exactly what is happening. Because in Abraham's culture, when a junior royal wants to swear, or a conquered king wants to swear allegiance to a superior king, this is what happens. The junior king will go and bring these animals, cut them in pieces. And the junior king will walk in the middle of them And swear to the senior king and said If I fail my word May I be cut as these animals are being cut So God now says Abraham watch me You're supposed to be my junior But you are not going to walk through this fire I will walk through these animals And I tell you Abraham If I fail my word I will be cut like these animals I will no longer be God I have promised I have sworn by myself I will not fail you Abraham I will honor my word you will be a father of many nations your descendants shall inherit the land they can go for many years but they will still come back to the land They may have enemies surrounding them but they will still come to the land because I have walked through the animal pieces and I have sworn to you I will honor my word. Now, that commitment came on the back of an offering. In other words, there are covenant cutting offerings covenant cutting offerings there are things that sometimes god demands from you it's not a general thing that everybody is giving but god makes a specific demand from you because he wants to cut a covenant with you and he wants to commit himself to you in a way That is beyond your greatest dreams. And when you cut that covenant with God. There is no turning back. That is the first time God demands a specific offering. It is not a tenth. It is not a tithe. It is special. Abraham... Bring me this offering. Because you know sometimes in church things happen. And sometimes you can be challenged to bring a special offering. And people say where is it in the Bible? That I must bring so much and bring so much and bring so much. Well, that is it. You want to prove God? He's going to make a special demand on you. The third offering of Abraham, and I'm not going to read it, you know it already, you can go read it in your Bible. When God says, Abraham, bring me your son, Isaac. And Abraham goes with his son to Mount Moriah. His son asks, Father, the fire, the wood, Where is the lamb? He says, son, God will prepare himself, provide for himself an offering. And he goes to the mountain, binds his son, just about killing his son. And God says, Abraham, stop. I walked through the fire for you yesterday. And you have walked through the fire for me today. I gave myself to you and you have given yourself to me. I swear, in blessing, I will bless you. In multiplying, I'll multiply you. Because you have not withheld your only son from me. By those two acts, Abraham came into a lifelong covenant with God that outlived him. And continues today. And I'm going to touch on that later on. If I still have time. But that offering. Was a test. A test. So there are sometimes God will test you with an offering. He, he is not going to take it from you. But he wants to check your heart. we've covered the first offering please know that i'm compressing everything very much the first offering of abel the second offering noah's offering third offering abraham to melchizedek fourth offering god covenanting in the fire in in the as fire through the animals dead animals fifth offering that is Abraham's third offering, but generally the fifth offering in all, it is Isaac being tested. All of these are not happening under the law. They are happening under grace, under Abraham. We will touch the law just a little bit. Israel becomes a nation and uh, Egypt. God says to Moses, Go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. They come out, they go to Mount Sinai. God wants to make a law with them. And uh, Mount Sinai is shaking. There is fire, there is earthquake, there is thunder, there is smoke, and there is a voice. Saying, I am the Lord, your God. In all that shaking. This is the first time Israel has been introduced to God. They've lived in Egypt for 430 years. They know the God of Abraham, but they haven't met him. The first time they are meeting their God, the one who just delivered them. And they say, wow, if this is the guy who delivers us, I think we like where we came from. Because this guy is terrible. He's terrible. He's shaking mountains. And 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 the pre and and people are going through and blowing the trumpet and they're screaming, Don't touch the mountain, don't touch the mountain. It's a scary moment. So they said to Moses, Sir, thank you for delivering us. This guy up there, the mountain, this Yahweh please, go talk to him. And we'll stay in our camp and whatever he tells you, we will do it. Whatever he tells you, we'll do it. So Moses then becomes an intermediary between the God and Israel. And so in the process of time, God says, well, you know, I wanted the whole people to approach me can't approach me they've elected Moses to do that so I'm going to take the tribe of Moses to be the tribe that approaches me Moses was from the tribe of the Levites and so God says the tribe of Moses is going to be the tribe of that approaches me so Moses you're going to get your brother Aaron to lead a group they'll be called priests And they would be the ones who talk to me. The people don't talk to me. So the Levites become the tribe that serves God on behalf of the people. And out of the Levites, they have the priesthood from the family of Aaron. Who become the intermediaries between the people. So God gives them the laws and so on and so forth. And then because he chose the Levites. Out of the tribes, he said they would not own land. The Levites will not own land. Every tribe would provide a space for the Levites to live, but Levites would not own their own land. They would not be landowners. They will serve God and they will not own land. In consequence of that, The rest of the tribes must contribute to support the Levites and the priests. And so he gave a lot of offerings that they must give. You know, when you read the Old Testament, one one of the things that, and I will read something very soon. One of the things that comes very clear to you is that it seems as if all that Israel lived for is to work and give offerings. Honestly. It, it, when you read the Bible, because the offerings are plenty. Plenty offerings. I mean, every day you are giving offering. So you work and give, 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 work and give. Work and, give. and God says, if you do that, I'll make you the head. Another tail. I'll make you the head. Another tail. One will come against you. They'll flee before you. Seven words. And God says, if you obey me in this, it seems when you look at it from, at one point, it seems as if it's a way of impoverishing you. But God says it's a way of prospering you. It doesn't make sense. It makes God. So, if you were watching Israel and the Jews. You say, who are this bunch of people? They are doing everyday giving. Everyday giving. Their whole life is giving. But then watch the results. They are conquering nations and conquering everybody and conquering... And so far as they remain faithful to God, they become the greatest nation. When they stop obeying God, everybody conquers them. So the principle was not given to impoverish them, but to empower them. But they gave a lot. And we'll read just a little bit and then I'll jump to the New Testament. Exodus twenty-three, fourteen to 16. Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall, not eat, unleavened, you shall eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded you. At the time appointed in the seventh month of Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty. And the feast of Harvard, the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field, feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors. Principle, none shall appear before me empty. He said, God, what is that? Don't you know there are poor people in the land? None shall appear before me empty. What about if I don't have none shall appear before me empty? Appear before me, don't come empty. So there is a command to appear. They can't violate their command. It says, Come before me three times a year. The Feast of Unleavened Passover, First Fruits, Feast of Tabernacles. You come before me by force. You can't say, I don't want to go to church today. I just feel, no, you have to appear before me and none shall appear before me empty. So you have to plan. This is not Pastor Taiwo talking. This is God. None shall appear before me empty. So he says, if you have nothing at all, join yourself to somebody. Who has, and let him cover you with his offering. But none shall appear before me empty. So if you see somebody giving, just hold his hand and say, I'm also giving. That's the rule. He, God knows there will be poor people in the land and he made provision for them. But the rule is, you have to appear me before me with an Offering Alright that's the law Now just read uh, Deuteronomy 12 5 to 6 But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God Chooses out of your tribes and To put his name there For his dwelling place and there you shall go There you shall take your bent offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, the vod offerings, the freewill offerings, the firstborn of your herds and your flocks. By the way, there was not only one tithe. There were three systems of tithing. So the tithe is three different types. Most times we teach it as if it's one type, three different types. I can't go into all of that. And then there is bent offerings. That is the animal is completely bent. Then there are sacrifices. Usually the sacrifices, you eat some of the meat. Tithes. Tenth, the one you know. Heave offerings and wave offerings. These are offerings that are offered openly. So heave offerings, you hold the offering and move it up and down. Wave offerings, left to right. Heave offerings, up and down. It's a public offering. Everybody sees your, your offering. If your goat is small, everyone say, ah, that is a small goat. (laughs) No, I need to teach this because, you know, sometimes people say, well, Jesus said, don't let your right hand see your, well, the heave offering, everybody sees what is in your hand. They see what's in your hand. Because you have to understand the context in which the scripture occurs. Don't just pick scriptures. You have to know the context in which they occur and what is there. Meaning for why Jesus said what He said. Uh, but if you're giving a heave offering, everybody in the church will know. That's his heave offering. The jaw of his goats is broken. It's a crippled goat. Everybody will see it. So it's not a hidden, hidden offering. A heave offering is publicly seen. I think to encourage people to give good offering. Then there's vowed offerings, there's freewill offerings, there's first fruits, and so on and so forth. The people who were required to receive the offerings, all these offerings from the people were the Levites and the priests. They received them. It wasn't necessarily that when you receive it, it is yours. There was a system of distribution of all the offerings. It followed a very rigid legal procedure. You don't just take it and put it in your mouth. There was a decorum that goes with it. But the Levites were authorized to receive offerings. I could do a lot under the Old Testament. My time is almost up. So let me jump to the New Testament And the New Testament, I will talk briefly about Jesus, and then I will talk about the early church, and then I will end with Melchizedek again. I hope I can do all of that in about 15 minutes. The first offering in the New Testament, Luke chapter 2, verse 21 to 24. Now when the eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the eight days of her purification according to the law of Moses was completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Jesus is the first offering in the New Testament. He himself. Because this is the first time an offering is mentioned in the New Testament and it is Jesus as an infant presented as a firstborn offering or a first fruit offering unto God. The second offering in the Bible is the offering that Mary gave herself for her purification. Jesus is the first offering. The first offering in the Old Testament, Cain gave of the firstborn. The first offering in the New Testament, Mary gave of her firstborn. Both offerings in Old and New Testament are firstborn offerings. Quantitative, qualitative. All right, let me rush it a bit. Then there is an offering that was given to Jesus. Oh, I wish I could do work with this one. When the wise men came to give to Jesus in Matthew chapter 2, they gave to to give an offering to Jesus. The Bible says that they opened their treasures. You know, know, people have a way of putting their own interpretation of scriptures. You know, we three kings of oriental, Bearing gifts, we travel afar. Oh, All right, thank you. <laughs> well, there were not three kings in a way. The gifts are three kinds, but the kings are not three. Wise men from the east came. But what I want you to note when you. I'll go and read the passage. Is that they opened their treasures? They didn't take gold from their pocket. They opened their treasures. The Greek word is thesaurus. Thesaurus is like a storehouse. So it is like you know those treasure chests. When they came to Jesus, these guys didn't travel all this distance with a tiny gold. You don't travel that long with a tiny gold. They were holding treasures, plural, in the Greek. rose. So they had boxes of gold that they opened and offered to the infant Jesus. To show his office as king, like Melchizedek. And then they gave him frankincense and mare to show his office as priest, like Melchizedek. Because I don't want to rush myself, but this is Melchizedek born. The king priest. Manifested in the Old Testament. Born in the New Testament. We'll find out soon. Okay. Let me just try and. Shut down. What Jesus said on tithes. Matthew chapter 23. Verse 23 to 24. Jesus is speaking. Now the whole of Matthew chapter 23. Is a very powerful chapter. It is called the woe chapter. Woe. Jesus is speaking to the scribes and Pharisees and he's just taking them to the cleanest. And he takes something they have done and just lambast it, takes something they have done and lambast it, takes something they have done. Woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! And then he tells them something wrong. Now, there are eight woes in this chapter of Wars. now the reason I take time to, to say this is because in this chapter Jesus is knocking down everything that must be knocked down he's knocking down everything that must be knocked down because he's really going hard he's not sparing anything anything of falsehood he comes against it and knocks it down whoa and he clears it out of the way so it's very important When he's knocking everything down And he leaves something standing That is intentional So He sees all the woes And he comes to verse 23 Woe to you Scribes and Pharisees hypocrites I'm trying to sound like Jesus I think that's how he's standing Woe to you scribes and Pharisees Hypocrites For you pay tithes Of mint and anise and cumin. And have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy and faith. These you ought to have done. Without leaving the others undone. Blind guides. Who strain out a nut. And swallow a camel. How did I do? Now Jesus is knocking down. Stuff. So if something is wrong, he's not going to spare it. He's not going to, because this is his war. And if you read the previous verses, I mean, he's been knocking everything down. But he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Why woe to you? Because you tithe mint and anise and cumin, spices. In other words, these guys will buy... Pepper and count 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. One pepper here. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Pepper here. Salt. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 9, 10. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. He says these guys are, I mean, they understand this 10% stuff. And he says they are tithing their pepper and their cumin and their anise. I mean, these are little spices. He says they count one to ten. Now, at this time, if, if, if that is war, Jesus will have said, woe unto you, hypocrites, stop doing that. But he says, he doesn't say they should stop tithing. He says, whilst you are doing that, you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done, you should have shown justice, mercy, and faith. In other words, you are tithing and you are wicked. You are mean-spirited, nasty, born-again, tongue-talking, tithing, evil man. But continue tithing, though. <laughs> that's the, basically, that's what he's saying. Continue doing it, but you are a nasty guy. And change your attitude. So, what is the woe is not the tithing. What is the woe is the amine spirit. Are you following me? Now, if, if he wanted to knock down tithing, he would have knocked down. You determine doctrine not only by that which is established, but that which is also left standing. If somebody is breaking everything and he leaves something standing, it means he wants to preserve it. You say, well, but he didn't teach it, but he left it standing. He could have knocked it down. He left it standing. When he's speaking woe, I mean if it's just a nice discourse I I love you, you love me, you love me and love, love, love and he leaves tithing so Jesus was in a nice mood he wasn't in a nice mood here he's knocking stuff down so Jesus never knocked down tithing All right. okay now okay New Testament Church and I think I may end here Acts chapter 4. And this is so important to the New Testament. Now, let me just say this a bit before I read this and then probably we close. You've heard, you know, there's a teaching on grace. Grace. And I teach grace too. But sometimes people teach grace as if grace is less than the law. When you are walking by grace, it's easy. Grace makes life easier. The law was given by Moses. Grace came through Jesus. Jesus is grace. Moses is law. Go read Matthew chapter 5. In Jesus' commentary. Jesus said, you have heard it say, according to the law of Moses, you shall not commit adultery. That's the law. But I, grace, say to you, he who looks at a woman and lusts after her has committed adultery. I beg your pardon. Between law and grace, which is harder? He said, you have heard it said, you shall not murder according to the law. I, grace, say to you, if you hate your brother, you have committed murder. Please. Which is harder? So why do you think grace is less than the law? So where the law collects 10%, grace collects 100%. Oh yeah. I'll just show it in the scripture. I'm not making it up. This is not my mind. Just look at all the offerings that were given in Jesus' time. Every offering. He says to the rich young ruler, go sell everything. Don't bring 10%. Give all. <laughs> and come follow me. And the guy says, uh, <laughs> this is not what I thought. Peter said, Lord, we have left everything. The widow, Jesus said, she gave all. Whereas the law asks for a part of what you have, grace asks for everything you have. You're not happy. You you, you wanted me to reduce it for you. All right, so Acts chapter 4, this is the first offering by the early church first offering by the early church. Acts chapter 4 verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they all had all things in common and with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, of the Lord Jesus. Great grace was upon them all. Now there, nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds to the of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. 100%. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? And they distributed to each one as had need. And Joseph, who was also surnamed Barnabas, by the apostles, which is translated son of Encarment, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Just something very interesting. This is the first record of the New Testament, church giving. And the first record of the first giver mentioned by name in the New Testament. Everything in the Bible is written specifically for special attention. Many people gave, only one person's name is mentioned. And his name is Barnabas. Barnabas, the son of Encarim, and the Bible has just a little description of him. He's a Levite. Under the law, everybody should have taken their offering to the Levite, Barnabas. But under the New Testament system, Barnabas, the Levite, takes his offering and puts it under the apostles' feet. In other words, under the New Testament, the receiver of offering and tithe moves from the Levite to what is called the fivefold ministry. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the teacher, and the pastor. The Levites are now submitted to the apostolic order. So, under the New Testament, you don't give to the Levites any longer. The Levites are actually giving to the men and women that God has set in office. Are you following me? Can I have a few more minutes to wrap it up? Okay. All right. So, let me wrap it up for you in... Hebrews chapter 7 verse 1 to 10. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth of all, first being translated king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days, nor end of life, but made like the son of God, remains a priest continually. Listen, a person has no mother, no father, no beginning, no end. Who is he? In the Bible, there's something you call Christophany. A Christophany is an appearance of Christ before his incarnation. So Jesus appeared many times in the Old Testament, manifested himself, but didn't live permanently because he didn't have legitimate right to stay on earth, but could operate on earth temporarily. It is called a Christophany. It is only when he was born, by Mary that he had legal status on this planet. So when God wanted to demonstrate something, he would show up and leave. And Melchizedek was Jesus in a Christophany in the Old Testament and now Jesus incarnated and born by Mary and Jesus a priest like Melchizedek. So when Abraham was giving that offering, he was not given to a Levite. He was given to Jesus. He was given to Jesus. All right. Now it says, verse 7, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witness that he lives, and so on and so forth. The important thing is that his priesthood continues. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 11. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priesthood should arise according to the order of Melchizedek? And not to be called according to the order of Aaron. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And yet it is far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 8, 1 and 2. Now this is the main point of the things we've been saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens above, a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle which the Lord Directed. Let me sum it for you. What the Bible is saying is that this Melchizedek, his priestly ministry never ended. So even when he was not there physically, his ministry continued. So when you read the Old Testament, you will find that there were people who sometimes would jump into the Levitical priesthood, although they were not priests. For example, David. David could eat the bread of priests and not die. When David wants to inquire from the Lord, he doesn't inquire from Abiatha, the priest according to the law. He takes the effort from Abiatha and inquires of the Lord himself, because if David was a priest, not according to the Levitical order, but according to the order of Melchizedek. Jethro was a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, and there are many people that God raised as priests according to the order of Melchizedek. The priesthood of Melchizedek never ended. And as it received tithe of the ones who have the promise in the past, it continues to receive tithe of those who have the promises today. Let me end by asking a few questions, and then I will give the answers to it. Question number one: Did the tithe cease in the New Testament? Did tithing cease in the New Testament? My answer: Not exactly. People ask, "Why? What is not exactly?" That's why you people confuse people. What is not? A, say, if it's no, say no. What if yes? You know, people like things black and white, but not exactly because it's not as simple as that. Not everything is yes and no. Why do I say not exactly? Levitical tithing ceased. Levitical tithing ended. When Christ said, it is finished, Levitical tithing ended. But... The order of Melchizedek, which is now in Christ and manifested through the apostolic office, continues. So it may seem like the same thing, but it is not the same thing. It looks like the same thing, but the administration has changed. It is no longer Levitical. It is the order of Melchizedek, which is in Christ, which is in everybody that is called in Christ. So Levitical priesthood, Tithing ceased. You cannot use Levitical scriptures to support your tithing. Jesus said it's finished. It's finished. But the order of Melchizedek continues to receive tithing. So when you tithe now, you are tithing straight to Jesus. Straight. Not to Aaron. Straight to Jesus. Jesus that's why i said not exactly one ends the other continues there's what theologians call continuity and discontinuity they say that just to confuse you (laughs) all right second question is the tithe our highest standard for giving that means if i tithe have i done well well no The tithe is the minimum standard for the New Testament Christian. Jesus said, the Pharisees, they tithe their pepper and their salt. And unless your righteousness exceeds the Pharisees, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot be at Pharisee level in the New Testament. You have to go to a higher level. But if you are a baby Christian, you can start at that level and grow from that level. The tithe is not the highest, it is the highest in the Old Testament, it is the lowest under grace. Third question. What is the New Testament standard of giving? In the New Testament, we are free to give all that we have to honor God. He who is forgiving much, forgives much. He who has been loved much, loves much. Question number four. Where do we take our tithes and offerings? Where should we take them? To a church under the stewardship of a genuine Ministry gift set by Christ. If you don't trust your pastor, go to a church where you trust the pastor and tithe. Don't say, I don't know what they'll do with my money, so I'll be in the church, I won't give. No, go and give. You must tithe. So, you say, I don't like this one. Go where you like somebody and tithe. Or give, because... You, you cannot use somebody's imperfection To undermine a principle of God You cannot use somebody's imperfection To undermine a principle of God A principle of God must be honored And if you don't like the person Go to a place you like And you can tithe comfortably Sometimes the people say I don't know what they are using my money for Go to a place where you know What they are using their money for Look at the lights. That's that's your money there. Your money is shining. This carpet is your money. So somebody said, "Well, I don't want my money to be used for lights in the church." Okay, go for a place where they will use your money uh, to do something else. It's a free world, but the principle must be honored, whether in this church, that church this pastor, that pastor, I don't like that one. He dresses too much. I think it's my money. Leave the church. Go to somewhere and and tithe. It's as simple as that. It's a free will. You can't avoid tithing by criticizing a pastor. How should the tithes and offerings and so on be used? For the support of God's work? For church staff Church services Church projects And church charity Scripture Is that how Fountain of Life using, Uses our Tithes Yes 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 This is an authorized House of God Authorized by the chief priest Jesus to receive. And when you place your offering under the apostles' feet, it is unto the Lord. You know, because sometimes people think when they give the offering, we, we chop the money. I understand church people. I understand. I pastored them for so long. You know, they think, Pastor... Taiwan will say to pastor te, you know today church was good church was good today did you check the offering church was good then he collects the money and go to restaurant and eat no it's like thinking that when you go and pay your tax to the tax officer he has taken your money he's only a receiver of your money it is not his money he is a receiver of your money. Now, I've heard people say, you know, I, as for me, I won't tithe. I will go and take care of the sick and I'll, I'll give to orphanages. God bless you for your kind heart. But it's like somebody says, you know, the road in front of my house is full of potholes. Government is not uh, filling the holes and, and, and the road is nasty. So I won't pay my tax. I'll use my tax to fix the road. Try it. That's not how it works. You can't be arbitrary. You can't be arbitrary. It's, it's like saying, oh, well, I have to go to school. I'm going to pay school fees, but instead of paying school fees to the school, I'll go and plant a tree in the school and, and, and clean the school with my school fees so the school will be nice. Are you crazy? You know, you know, the way people think, you know, somehow we think, all right, then when it comes to church matters, People just lose their brains, and they're making all kinds of silly arguments. And I'm watching. I say, "Are you crazy? Who operates that way?" It's like you go to the supermarket. You say, "Oh, the parking lot of the supermarket is is not clean." And so, instead of going to pay for that thing, I'll collect the things and I'll use the money to clean the parking lot. So the next time people will not be falling down at the supermarket. Are you crazy? Who does that? If you don't trust your church, leave it. Go to a church you trust. And pay your tithe. And trust that they will use it well. But you don't have the right To distribute it according to your will. (laughs) New Testament and Old Testament. New Testament, they brought it to the apostles' feet. And the apostles determined the usage of it. Not Barnabas determined the usage of it. You just give it and the leadership of the church. If they say they want to give it to the poor, fine. If they say they want to build hospitals, fine. They want to build a university, fine. They want to buy shoes, fine. They want to buy rice and distribute it to members, fine. They want to buy a microphone, fine. It's not yours to decide again. The moment you lay it at the apostles' feet or put it in the offering basket through whatever means, you surrender it. Laying it at the apostles' feet simply means you surrendered it. You surrendered it. It's a figure of speech. You surrender. The moment you surrender it, It's not yours. Tell the person that's you, your tithe is not yours. It's for God. Now, if you do what Abraham did, you will get what Abraham got. And God wants to come into covenant with you. And he wants to come into a firm covenant and assure you without any shadow of doubt that with blessing, he will bless you, he will increase you, he will multiply you. There are people that God has sworn to so that even when they die, the promise continues on their children, on their children's children. People are blessed for 10 generations, for 20 generations because of a covenant between one man or one woman and the Lord. Tonight, I want you to determine that you would enter into this covenant of faithfulness with God. You will never appear before him empty. You will not downgrade what he demands from you. You are going to be faithful and you're going to trust the covenant keeping God. To keep his covenant with you. Because he truly is. A covenant keeping God. Say with me. In the name of Jesus. Jesus, I declare today. today, By understanding. understanding Of the word of God. God, And the clarity of my thought. I come into a faith covenant. With God Almighty, almighty. That from today. I will never appear before him empty. And I will give beyond the tenth according to the law of grace. Everything I have belongs to God. And I promise him all that I have from today in Jesus name. Now lift up your hands and just begin to talk to God. And come into covenant with him concerning your children concerning your business, concerning your future, concerning your children's children, as he did for Abraham, he will do for you. In the name of Jesus. With blessing, he will bless you. With multiplying, he will multiply your seed. Your seed shall possess the gates of your enemies. They will come out against you one way, they will flee before you seven ways. You will never go into battle and come with wounds. You will never go into battle and come defeated. Whenever you step on the battle front, even with giants that are mightier than you, by the hand of the lord giants will fall in front of you kings will fall in front of you princes will fall in front of you the covenant keeping god will protect you in enemy territory against conspiracies against those who rise against you the lord gives you victory the lord causes you to prosper the lord multiply you the lord make you a thousand times more from today this is the poorest you'll ever be in your life. This is the lowest you ever sink in your life. From today, you are going higher. You are going higher. You are going higher. You are going higher. You are going, going higher. With knowledge. With faith. In Jesus' name. And somebody say, Amen. Amen. Somebody shout, Amen.
0: We know that you have been tremendously blessed by this message. For additional information and materials from Pastor Taiwo Dikoya, please contact us at the Fountain of Life Church, 12 Industrial Estate Road by PZ Industries, Off Town Planning Way, Ilipeju, Lagos. Visit our website at www.tfolc.org. Thank you. God bless you.